The Daily Rios Digest, December 19th, 2021. As the new year comes to a close, we are already seeing some best-of lists floating out there for comics. Best comics of the year, best-of categories, etc. Which I always kind of laugh a little bit at because there are still, as of this recording, three more Wednesdays left. You know, what if something amazing drops next week? All your lists will have to be amended. Anyway, um... Before CGS started, I used to run a Best of the Year compilation contest with the Golden Eagle Gang, uh, a lot of categories that most likely were pulled from something like the CBG Awards or the Wizard Awards, and I did that for maybe, I think like two, three years, uh, something like that, just to see what we all collectively were enjoying, and we had categories like best writer, best artist, best title, etc. And then I would email everybody the results. And that template, that end of year best of template, eventually found its way onto CGS. And we involved the listeners. And I think one year we got some voicemails from some of the winners accepting the prize, which was kind of fun. So... And of course, like a lot of various segments that we did, the best of year contest, the categories started to filter to other comic podcasts, and suddenly they were also doing end of year celebrations, either using our format, our categories, tweaking them, etc. Honestly, it probably should be called a favorites list because it's not like everyone can read everything in a year and really call out what is or isn't the best. You know, there's a lot of subjectivity in that. To the point, um, in the first year of the Daily Rios episodes, specifically episode 130, which was uh, the episode going from the end of 2012 into 2013, I put a call out to the listeners to send in what categories they would want me to cover for a best of, best of type scenario. Um, the idea was that the listeners would come up with the individual character categories, and then I would respond to them to the best of my ability all throughout the month of January. So things like best cover, original graphic novel, publisher, best ongoing series from, say, like Marvel or DC, um, best comic I haven't read, best surprise comic of the year, but also, and these were probably more fun, things like best Twitter controversy, best comic flop, best B-list character-centered comic series, most hopeful trend in and around comics, best reading experience, etc., etc. I really liked the -the off-the-wall categories that people chose, And, you know, I've been saying I am certainly not caught up on comics, but my eyes and ears, they are open about as much as possible, you know, so I'm familiar with things that have gone on, obviously. 
Um, even if I don't necessarily know the content of a lot of these comics, I could certainly probably talk about them. So, so I like that. I like those quirky categories. So I want you to email me, no more than say three per person, uh, your best of category or whatever that you would want me to talk about for the year of 2021. And then I will drop them starting in January so that it'll give me some time to prepare. It was a lot of fun the first time around, and hopefully I get some really cool suggestions. So I would love to hear from you, peter at thedailyrios.com. Trivia Tuesday, the George Perez edition. So if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I have been dropping some celebratory tweets about George Perez every day, sometimes just posting some images from works that I have never seen before, or just some fun things about his art, etc., all to celebrate George Perez, as he requested. Um, if you listened to my digest from last week, or if you're familiar with the situation on Twitter and Facebook. So I thought this could be fun. Let's do some trivia about, well, either about George Perez or about things that George has worked on. So some of it could just be generic comic book trivia, but I tried to center it around things that George was personally involved in. Um, I only have uh, six questions and uh, let's see how you do. And these categories are based on the trivia game uh, that I created. So, for instance, here we go. Continuity. From New Teen Titans number one. Not counting the cover or the splash page. Which Titan was the first Titan to be drawn in story? Number two, this is Geography. Where was George Perez born? Number three, powers and paraphernalia, organizations, etc. First appearing in Avengers 195, this George Perez co-created villain claimed that he was born with photographic reflexes that allow him to mimic any fighting style or athletic ability. What is the code name of this villain? Number four, this is for events. Marvel's 1975 character of the White Tiger was created by Bill Mantlo and George Perez. White Tiger is a Puerto Rican and Marvel's first Hispanic superhero. In what title did he first appear? Number five, characters or creators. During the post-crisis Wonder Woman reboot, Heralded by George Perez, what was the name of the fast-talking, savvy, Boston-based publicist that became the agent of Wonder Woman shortly after Diana's arrival to Man's World? And number six, which is hypertime, which is potpourri, what is the real name of George Perez's creator-owned character, Crimson Plague? What is her secret or real identity? In story. I don't mean who she's based on. All right, let's go back. Pencils down, no cheating. Um, the first Titan to be seen in story after the 
uh, cover and the splash page is Starfire as she is escaping her captors in space. George Perez was born in the South Bronx in New York. The villain that first appeared in Avengers 195 with photographic reflexes, if you watch the recent Black Widow movie, is Taskmaster. The White Tiger first appeared in Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. And if you know the number, the issue number, it is number 19. The publicist created by Perez and company for the Wonder Woman reboot, and I think maybe might be kind of like their counter to Maxwell Lord from the Justice League. That character's name is Mindy Mayer. And the real name of Crimson Plague is Dina Simmons. And Dina is spelled D-I-N-A, but the letters D-N-A are capitalized. So it's almost like D-N-A, but Dina Simmons. Okay, there you go. A little George Perez trivia this week. How did you do? Look, I think we wanted this Nightwing to be the perfect jumping on point for any reader. For any huge fan of Nightwing, I believe in fan service. I believe in trying to give the fans what they want as a fan myself. I mean, I have Nightwing sits right here on my desk, so I do like the man. It's also sort of taking everything I love about Nightwing and amping it up to that next level, showing the world why this character is an A-lister. Nightwing is the heart of the DC universe. It's, it's said a lot. He is this wonderful character who just wants to look after people. New Comics Wednesday. New Comics Wednesday recommendations for the week of December 15th, starting with three from Magnetic Press. These are, I'm assuming, possibly original graphic novels. Maybe they are collections. They are all hardcovers. The first one is Carbon and Silicon. The second one is Shangri-La. And the third one is The Wall. They are all, all $29.99. And a lot of these I think I just liked because the preview art looked really cool. Pretty much all of them have some kind of sci-fi bent to them. Carbon and Silicon is about... The first of a new generation of robots meant to care for the aging hum human population. They become separated and on their way to find each other again, they, uh, you know, encounter a lot of the ecological, economical, and social disasters um, that apparently humanity has created. And these two uh, robots are just trying to find their place within all of that. Shangri-La is about a space station a hundred years in the future and where everyone seems to be okay with this perfect society until they try to push their limits to become equal to the gods. They intend to rewrite Genesis and of course things go bad from there. And then you have the wall which is an enclosure around a community that, uh, you know, is in the middle of this giant dystopian future. Again, another post-apocalyptic future. And there's a man who needs to go to the wall and travel to the civilization to help his sick sister 
and uh, you know it goes from there. Maybe maybe all that optimism in the city isn't all that it seems. There are giant monstrous robots, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they all have a, a kind of like the same flavor, and I just and they all came out in the same week, and I was like, okay, uh, yeah, let's let's take a look at them. From Boom Studios, we have Luna Trade Paperback, Maria Lovett. It's the 1960s, and Teresa is a young woman who's plagued by prophetic dreams. These dreams lead to a fateful meeting with a burgeoning hippie cult called the Family of the Sun, whose leader claims to have met the divine. Sex, drugs, and blood magic will lead Teresa to the truth about the family, its enigmatic leader, and the dark secret behind her dreams. Love, destiny, betrayal, lies, and the lengths to which we would go in order to protect the loved ones we love collide in this erotic thriller from Maria Lovett, who also worked on Faithless and Heartbeat. And it collects the five-issue series. This is $19.99 from Boom Studios. From Black Mask Studios, we have Hecate's Will Number 1, this is by Yolanda Zanfardino, and this is a story of a legendary New York City graf- uh, graffiti artist who has decided to retire and abandon her mission of changing the world through art. Before she quits, she's going to create one final street art experience, a graffiti scavenger hunt through the streets of Manhattan that will lead her fans to a final message. As her street art experiment catches fire with young artists and activists, and while she simultaneously gets roped into working on a rock musical, all of Hecate's expectations and assumptions will be challenged. But will it be enough to renew the strength of her conviction to remain true to her her artistic self? This is a story for anyone who knows you can't escape being who you are, and that making art means proudly showing your scars to the world. I just, I, I really like that tagline there. And this is $3.99. And then finally, the Nightwing hardcover from DC, Leaping into the Light for $24.99. Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo, and company bringing Nightwing back into becoming one of the best titles of the year. I'm assuming this is collecting the first five or six issues. You have uh, a villain named Heartless. And if you're someone who's been waiting to pull the trigger on this, here you go, go, a nice hardcover. I do have the issues. I also ordered the hardcover, which is rare for me. All right, there you go. There are your recommendations for New Comics Wednesday. Time. Space. Reality. It's more than a linear path. It's a prism of endless possibility. Where a single choice can branch out into infinite realities. Creating alternate worlds from the ones you know. I am the Watcher. I am your guide through these vast new realities. Follow me. 
and ponder the question, what if? I got a great topic on Twitter today from David in Texas that once it was asked, I knew it would make for a good segment here on uh, the Digest for this week. So super appreciative when this happens. So thank you in advance, David. So David's question is as follows. With the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Sony embracing the multiverse concept, do you see it as validation as a DC fan or frustrating that Warner Brothers hasn't done more with it in the DC Extended Universe? Now, I did offer up a quick response on Twitter. I said, I see it as Marvel finally waking up to the possibilities instead of ignoring it for so many years and saying it was unnecessary for so so many years, at least in the comic side of things. And in return, David uh, mentioned about how when the Flash and Supergirl uh, TV shows crossed over, how that tapped into fond memories growing up as a DC kid. So let's dig a little deeper into David's question, uh, as much as the digest format allows. Now, first off, and and this is not a new thought for longtime comic readers, but clearly Marvel is no stranger to having alternate worlds, alternate Earths, alternate futures, characters from other you know, alternate, parallel, divergent worlds, etc. I mean, the What If series began in 1977. Uh, That's why I played the intro to the TV series at the start of the segment. You have the whole concept of the Squadron Supreme, Alan Moore writing Captain Britain, creating the the notion of a Earth 616, uh, which apparently was uh, the... The naming of that was created by David Thorpe, who was the previous Captain Britain writer, but then Alan Moore was the one who kind of ran with it. Um, Elements of the new universe making their way into the Marvel Universe. The short-lived Alterniverse, uh, a series of comics that were from Marvel in the 1990s. The Exiles series, when the Ultimate Universe collided with the main Marvel Universe, Miles Morales, hello. Um, Obviously, it's very different from how DC does their multiverse, and Marvel's multiverse wasn't ever really sort of incorporated into their publishing continuity in the way that DC did, but the elements are certainly there, more or less. And You know, when you have a creator like Roy Thomas that works at both companies, of course the multiverse is going to be explored. Um, And then, specifically to Marvel, we had people like Mark Grunewald and Jonathan Hickman, all the way up to Al Ewing today. You know, they are they help to establish Marvel, um, the the Marvel multiverse. They play within the 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 multiverse, etc. Now. The trap that Marvel created for themselves, because this is something that they are prone to do, is when certain executives open their mouth and say things like, well, at Marvel, we don't need a crisis. Or when they say, 
there is the multi universe, uh, Marvel universe, and the Ultimate universe. Anything other than that reeks of all of that DC Earth One, Earth Two, Earth Prime stuff, which I've never really taken to. You can probably figure out who said those things. Now, I know David's question is talking about the movie universe, but you got you kind of have to like factor the two, right? Suddenly, the movie universe is totally in love with the word multiverse. And it has been that way in the comics for a while as well. So, you know, in the movie universe, you have Ant-Man and WandaVision, Loki, Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. So where did that switch happen, right? Where did it happen in the comics that it would then translate into um, the movies? Now, and, and I already mentioned people like Jonathan Hickman and Al Ewing, who were unabashedly pulling into the main Marvel um, publishing line, all of these multiverse concepts. The thing that you don't, I guess the real big difference between DC and Marvel when it comes to the multiverse, outside of titles like The Exiles, did we ever really get other, am am I forgetting other titles that Marvel put out that are like, yes, this is firmly on a different Earth from the Earth that we have. I mean, in the 80s, DC was publishing All-Star Squadron and Infinity, Inc. In the New 52 universe, they had a title called Earth 2. Um, You know, where is the title outside... I guess the whole uh, Ultimate Universe, right? Before, once they decided to merge the two Earths and have crossovers and things like that, yeah, there you go. But again because they weren't delineating it in a way that DC would, it it really didn't speak to that whole multiverse thing. So obviously somewhere there was a switch, right? Because as I alluded to earlier, Marvel likes to take a, a wait-and-see approach at times before they commit. And then when they commit, boy, do they commit, right? Of course you want to do multiverse storytelling. You know... In the Marvel, in the movie universe, it's it really is kind of like the next logical step. They they started with these one-off movies with all their individual characters that that all led to them teaming up in the Avengers. Suddenly, all of their movies start to follow like a serial format, right? And one chapter leads into the next, leading all the way into Infinity War and Endgame, which are the Marvel Marvel movie versions of major comic book events, right? That that's that's not a new thought. It's a no-brainer, right? And now they want to go even bigger. Move outside of the shared universe that they created to other Marvel properties, and it really just makes sense, right? What's funny is that for a company that and I know this is the publishing line, but for a company that said that they didn't need a crisis, I don't know, feels kind of obvious to me that the CW version of the crisis, the one that was on TV, helped to pave the way for Marvel to say, oh, wow, you know what? Readers and viewers actually like this kind of thing. I mean, we've been living with the hint of a TV crisis since the Flash TV show premiered in 2014. When that pilot hit and there was that newspaper flash lost in the crisis or something like that. I mean, or, or I think they even made reference of like red skies. Come on. 
all since that very first episode. And then the Flash TV series had a lot of like visual stuff that mimicked Crisis or multiverse comic book covers, etc. All the way back since 2014. And you can go all the way back to something like Smallville with all of the Easter eggs and cameos of actors from other Superman properties coming in. I mean, that's a little different than the comic book multiverse version, but that's absolutely the beginning stages of what a multiverse might mean for TV and for movies, right? Just just by having Christopher Reeve show up, just by having Margot Kidder show up, and they deliver certain lines, and you're like, yeah, that line has weight and meaning because they were part of a Superman movie universe before Smallville, right? So you have The Flash teasing the crisis, you had the Elseworlds at the end of 2018, and then when the crisis was finally announced, and then all of the possibilities and all of the the, the rumors of actors who were going to appear, I mean, that was just a phenomenal time for superhero television. Of course Marvel's not going to ignore something like that. And then when you're playing with something like Infinity Ge- the Infinity Gems, they're, you know, again, they would be dumb to ignore that concept. And I'm not even saying that, you know, certainly in the comics, DC helped to shape and pave the way for the, for the multiverse. Um, you know, you can look online. I didn't write down who actually coined the term. I think it was part of Moorcock's, uh, you know, series of storytelling. But this idea of an interconnected anything, it's none of it's new, right? Soap operas have been doing it. Scooby-Doo, Titans, the Sonic Universe, Power Rangers. I mean, these, these are all just recent, um, recent examples. It's not a new concept. So Marvel very much is playing the whole I was against it before I was before it game, right? Um, but this is where the difference between the comic book side of things and the movie side of things makes a difference because under a different executive, one that doesn't feel the need to compete and one that fe- doesn't feel the need or, or they don't need to say, oh, DC has their thing and we have our thing. No, multiverse is a cool concept. Cool, let's figure it out. Let's do it. Let's drop hints and, and Ant-Man and let's drop, let's do WandaVision and let's set up Scarlet Witch and this and that. And, you know, they're like, yeah, sure, do it. Why not? So it's not really, I don't see it as validation as a DC fan. It should just be. It's kind of like a no-brainer, right? In the comics, it's a no-brainer. So why would you why would you want to make that separation in the movie universe? Obviously, they didn't, right? They're not going to say, oh, we're not going to tell those kind of stories here. No, that's just weird. It was weird when when they said it about the comics and it's weird when if they would have said it about the movies um to the other question of is it frustrating that the wb hasn't done more with it again i see i don't see the movies as the arbiter arbiter of my love for dc right like just because they don't do it in the movies i don't get disappointed because it has been explored everywhere else it's it's been explored in the comics it's been the multiverse has been explored in cartoons obviously the cw crisis uh event and other other cw shows um 
we keep getting hints of it, and we are obviously going to get the movies, but we've had audiobooks, we've had Easter eggs in in various TV shows here and there, and um, do they play with it in The Young Justice? I don't know, I'm not caught up on that. DC is synonymous with the very concept of the multiverse in so many ways, it really doesn't matter that it's not a huge thing in the movie universe, and it certainly doesn't matter to me if someone thinks that Marvel created it first, you know, because first of all, they're wrong. Uh, secondly, as as much as I keep reminding people that the comic book versions of your favorite characters are no longer the definitive versions because movies rule the roost right, right now, I also don't consider what DC has done with their movies as secondary in some way, or, or that they are less than. I don't need the masses to love DC and their movies the way I love DC and the comics, right? The comics aren't deemed less worthy because the masses aren't coming to the movies. That's, that's, I just don't ever think that way. DC and WB, they're doing it their way with all the hits and misses, and, and I'm I'm here going, great, I watched that, that was cool, let me go back to my comics. Um, it's really, honestly, honestly, this is part of the reason why I don't understand why people are still beating the drum and saying, I hate Man of Steel, eight to nine years later. It's like, why are you so hung up on on continuing your anger and hate for that movie. Like, go watch the old movies. Go read Burn Superman. Go watch Smallville. Go watch all of the various TV shows based on Superman. I don't understand what validation they are missing that you, that they allow one movie to take away probably decades of what they already liked. You know, I don't, I don't need a movie to validate my love of a character or or a publisher it's really wasted energy you know just like just like marvel wasted tons of potential by ignoring or downplaying the multiverse before certain creators said no i want to play with it and and the marvel you the movie universe said what the, the the comics think what about the multiverse nah we don't think that way so run with it go for it you know i saw no way home is it going to diminish my excitement for Flashpoint? No way. Michael Keaton back as Batman? You think I care about anything that No Way Home does when I know that Michael Keaton is going to be Batman again? I mean, it's Michael Keaton and Batman. There's no contest. People who hated Man of Steel would be creaming their pants if Christopher Reeve was still alive and had a scene with Henry Cavill. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. So, all right. I've gone on too far. I've gone on too long and too far as I usually do. So there you go. I, I'm sure I wandered in a lot of that explanation and response to David's question. So, but absolutely, David, thank you for that. Thank you for helping me fill a segment here. Um, in the Rios universe, I will name a parallel Earth after David. How about that? <laughs> Welcome to The Naked Geek. Pull up a chair by the fire, pour yourself a drink, and get comfortable. I am David Monteith, and maybe, like me, you've spent your whole life loving science fiction, superheroes, fantasy, and the whole pop culture genre thing. 
Maybe, also like me, you've spent a lot of time with people rolling their eyes whenever you mention anything to do with it. But this stuff has made me who I am. It's been there through the highs and the lows of my life, from puberty to marriage to the death of my daughter. It's shaped my philosophy, it's given me friends, it's... Well, you know what? I could go on and on. The purpose of this podcast is to connect our passions, to look at what in the genre has inspired us, taught us, got us through tough times. So journey with me, where I, with the help of a friend every now and again, will be getting mentally naked, if you like, embracing vulnerability and purpose, exploring a life lived in geekdom and possibly enjoying your drink along the way. This podcast will be available on the podcast app of your choice once a week and won't even take up that much of your time. I am David Monteith, the Naked Geek. I won't actually be naked though, so you know you can you can get that out of your head right now. Just a quick Friday wrap up here, um, especially because Thursday segment is is was was fairly long. Um, go check out some non-digest episodes such as episode 536, the episode right before this, which was a chat with Sean Pryor, Rosa Colonguera, and Barry Nugent, all about self-publishing and writing and creating, etc., etc. I've really had a good time with that episode, and I, I, I want as many people to listen to it as, as possible, because I, I would like to have more of those kind of episodes. Um, getting a panel on of people who, who, especially creators, because um, I would like to do some more creator interviews, but not do a one-on-one, do like a panel, do, do a quorum, whatever you want to call it, and get them to talk to each other and, and have them share ideas. And, and um, I just think that would be great. So, so go listen to that. Um, I have another non-digest episode that I'm editing. It's a very dear topic. You're going to like it. The panel that I have on for this first one, they are so enthusiastic and, and just really informed. It was really great. And there is a special guest on that episode that I know many of you who have been listening to me podcast for so many years that you're going to enjoy. Uh, I have a new Legion Project podcast, which uh, Eric is waiting for me to edit so that we can release that. That is on my list uh, that is in the middle of the Universo project. Um, I need to do a Timeline Tuesday episode before December runs out. Uh, so there's a lot. There's a lot that I got to plan for this. Uh, um, there's a lot that I have to plan in and around the holidays, which makes things a little little tough. But um, I will do the best I can. If only there were multiple versions of myself to help out. A room full of Rioses. Zod help us all. Okay, you know what to do. Peter at thedailyrios.com. The website is thedailyrios.com. My Twitter, Peter J. Rios. My Instagram, thedailyrios. If you are a podcaster or you are starting a new podcast in 2022, please, by all means, send me a promo so I can use them as bumpers. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 537, the 24th digest for Sunday, December 19th, 2021. Talk to you soon. Yeah, right. Sorry. I uh, Barry is from another universe. Cool. 
Wow, wow. So the, the theory of, of, of the multiverse, that's true. True, oh yeah, big time. Yeah, I still yeah. can't believe it, and I'm from another planet. What? Oh yeah, she, she's, she's an alien. You're an alien? Yeah. So do you have like other aliens on this Earth? What, what do you mean by this Earth? Uh, uh hold on. Let's see, someone do this one. All right, so imagine there are multiple versions of Earth, um, one where uh, the Nazis won World War II, one where Kennedy was never assassinated. Oh, yeah, one where, where all of us are evil. Been there, it sucks. Uh, so all of these Earths occupy the same place in space, but they vibrate at a different frequency so they can't see one another. Yeah, yeah, but, it, but it's like if you can go fast enough, then it's possible to open like a breach and then travel between worlds. Yeah. But how could you travel that fast? <laughs> well, um... Yes! Yeah, so, um, I was struck by lightning the same night a particle accelerator exploded, and I became a superhero. <laughs>